One of the things that I love is the fact that I have fun with it. I think that the day that I don't is the day that I need to move on. It keeps me moving, it keeps me feeling, it keeps me laughing, and it keeps me learning. And I am very blessed by that. Hello, and welcome to the Theater Art Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors, world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. The Theater Art Life podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Ana Aguilera. On this episode, we are joined by Patricia Maserab, and she'll be talking about her work both on stage and backstage. Patricia was born in Paraguay, In 1997, she co-founded the aerial theater group Ni Mu, a groundbreaking theater alternative for the Paraguayan scene. She was awarded with the Bonai Breath Award for Excellence in Theater in 2006. The same year, she was also awarded with the Fulbright Scholarship to North Carolina School of the Arts, where she obtained her MFA in Performing Arts Management. After graduating in 2009, she worked both in Asuncion, Paraguay, and in New York, establishing residency in New York in 2012. Since then, she has been working as an associate to Fred Gallo, technical director for several Broadway musicals and president of PRG Scenic Technologies. Her most recent projects include Harry Potter and the Cursed Child in New York City and San Francisco, King Kong Live on Broadway, Phantom of the Opera Asia Tour, MJ the Michael Jackson Musical, and Funny Girl. In addition to the technical and physical aspects of a production, Patricia has continued to explore theater and its creative aspects, producing, directing, and doing site-specific work. After working on the Women's Resident Project Chaos, Mujeres en Residencia in Paraguay in 2021, Patricia and Nimu are celebrating the company's 25th anniversary working on a performance piece as artists in residence of the Oklahoma International Dance Festival in July of 2022. Hi, welcome Hi. to the show. <laughs> nice to see you again. Yes, nice to see you too. Nice to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your career? I mean, a few words I've read a little bit, but maybe how did you get to where you are? I don't want to say it's luck, but I think luck had a lot to do with it. <laughs> but I started doing theater when I was 15. And that led me to, and it was just, I, I actually wanted to be a clown, to be honest. That was my dream. I wanted to be in the circus. And then in Paraguay, it's hard to find, at that time, it was really hard to find, like, to do a career in theater. So I took a lot of workshops and I went to, like, you know, those Saturday schools and stuff like that. And then I ended up founding the Nimu Theater Group with other artists that I had met during a circus workshop and a, and a, and a show I, uh, we did together. It was like a children's show. So I never really thought that I would end up on Broadway. The kind of theater that I had always done has always been very visceral, very different. Um, we form an aerial company because we wanted to explore different options. We believed that theater was more than just a stage. At that time, it was a very percolating time in Paraguay. We had just come out of a dictatorship, so every, everybody was trying new things. It was more daring, and we were very fearless. We still are, I think, to still continue to do theater in Paraguay at 
this juncture, you have to be <laughs> because of that. And we are a women led company. We had to do both. We had to be the creative force, but we also had to be the producers of everything. So it was like, uh, I had, I had always have this duality of be of loving producing and, and, and doing and being on the, let's say backstage side of things and also being on the front side of things by performing by creating so I think that lately I have found myself more in the you know backstage and on a completely different arena but I also love it I think that uh, there's a production value of seeing the physical aspect of things coming to life and um, developing uh, somebody else's vision and uh, and I I don't know it's it's I'm very grateful from where I am where I am right now and to be able to still continue to do the same things that I do with my theater group back home I can't I can't deny that I love the duality of it all so it's a very interesting duality I don't think a lot of people get to experience both like what you said that it's visceral and like the nitty gritty of being a creative and then working in a very well oiled machine as it's brought away. Yeah. I I think it actually I ended up in on Broadway by luck. I'm not gonna lie. Like I needed an internship. I was at my last year for my MFA and I needed an internship and my scholarship was only gave me, you know, uh, funds for two years. So I really needed to be a paid internship. And I was like I hadn't, I didn't want to do Broadway. I know, I remember I was the black sheep of my class because I always complain about commercial theater. So, and I was like, well, what about, you know, the like European companies, like who are the vows? You don't know about them. Like uh, there's so much in Latin America happening. Like, what is this? And then it just so happened that I showed someone where the soda machines were at a job fair at our school. And then we kept in touch and then they offered me to meet Fred, who's my boss, and we hit it off. And I and he was has been extremely patient with me till now because I told him I used to be a performer. I don't know any I don't design. I don't I don't even do imperial measurements. I do metrics. So it's like and he has always been extremely generous with his knowledge and still is and more importantly he still has a lot of fun with what he does and i really appreciate that because it allows me to explore have fun with what i do and be involved in what i do and at the same at the same time still learn so that gives me an amount of fuel to put into my company even though i'm not there like I'm able to say, oh, look at this new equipment that we can use for aerial things or look at this thing or I learned about this material or like the things that I see that allow me to put them into a creative perspective for what I can do with them or by myself or like wherever I am in my own creative process, which is not the same either because, you know, it's been 15 years. So we all sort of like accumulate and digest differently and, and have taste for other things. So it has been really good to have that duality because it has expanded what I think of as creative 
and what I can bring to the table and what I want to do with my own creative thoughts. How would you describe the work other than visceral, the work uh, that you do back in Paraguay and then your own personal work and how it differs from what you do in Broadway? Well, I think it's um, budget. <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> I think our our work back home, uh, Nimu's work is, we create magic with as little as two tin cans. Um, I remember very clearly that four years ago or something, one of the uh, the girls in the group, Fatima, she was directing a play called Paranapura, which happens on a boat in the river. And it's like at a very apocalyptic situation. And they literally managed to get a boat <laughs> inside of our warehouse. And there wasn't big money there wasn't any funds, there wasn't any big producing, and they managed managed to create this incredible piece with, I'm not even kidding, like, I think six lights that were like a mismatch of like, literal like bulbs with tin cans and gels, because if whenever I could, I could also bring gels to them and stuff like that. And then like a couple of swivels and like, it worked. And it was beautiful and it was magical. And I was doing, I can't remember what show I was doing, but it just brought me back to the fact that we spend so much money on Broadway trying to create magic. And sometimes it's not even about, it doesn't happen. There's something else that needs to be in there for the magic of theater to happen. And sometimes it's there, but sometimes it isn't. And I think. Um, my, I am moving more towards a more, a different kind of theater or experience, I think. And so it's, it's almost like, I think that we are at a, in a time that we should be exposed in a different way to art in itself. So I think I consider myself less it's less of a theater maker and more like an experience maker like i would like to explore that a little bit more for things to move you they don't need to be three hours long <laughs> if something is going to move you i think you we need to also be in tune with what's how we're digesting things and like in an era where like, you know, I don't do TikTok, but apparently is very big, but in the last, like, I don't know, 30 seconds. So <laughs> I think that there's a world there where we also need to be in tune to what it's out there and what people are doing, but also what people are not doing. Like when I want things, I want to explore things that make us stop and breathe and like see them. And maybe it's just, you know, something that happens on a window front over and over and over and over and is there for everybody to see. Or it's occupying an abandoned building and see what happens there. Or maybe it is going back to the basics and sitting down and like having proximity. I don't know. I don't know exactly where my head is at, but I think that those are all things that at least my group and myself are trying to explore in terms of of what is 
next, you know? And, you know, I can't deny the fact that my job and, and New York City is always, it's, there's a lot of food for thought there, like both in the business, but also like just walking in the streets or, you know, seeing really bad things also is really good sometimes. And also seeing incredible things that they're, that might not be accessible anywhere else. You know, I don't know. It's a comp- complicated question. Long answer. Too. <laughs> is this how you ended up deciding to stay in New York? Oddly enough, I, I stayed in New York for two reasons. One was love. Sounds stupid, but yes. And the second one is I, I felt like I functioned better. I don't know how else to explain it. I functioned very well. I felt I was, it was a moment where I also, I think I was carving my place in, uh, in the machinery that I'm in right now. I was getting so much knowledge and so much experience. And I was, I really love what I do. I, I really do. I don't, I don't think I have a specific title, but I have found myself in a position where I created a space for myself in the, in that crazy machinery that is Broadway. And I think I wanted that and, and I love it. So, so it was a big move because I felt like I was abandoning a whole side of myself, but I also think that it brought me to where I am right now, which is in a very, I'm in a very happy place. And also I'm all, I'm, opening up to a different artistic side of myself too, which would have never happened otherwise, I think. That sounds very exciting. <laughs> like finding that sweet spot where you, I, I don't think I've ever thought of the place where I function the best and it's so important. Yeah. There's a stability and equilibrium that happens in that situation. And I, and me as a person at that point in my life, I really needed that. I really needed to become a, a functional individual and especially an individual. So it was very hard culturally, but at the same time, I was able to build an extremely amazing community. I always say that I build families around me because, um, and um, you might find this similar, but like there's a very particular thing happening when you're an immigrant where you don't it is like that you know it's like a pendulum because you don't belong one place and you don't belong in the other one anymore so you're always sort of like in this move moving particle and trying to be stable and it happens but it's um it's it's a very weird feeling but it also allowed me to be who I am now so Tell us a little bit more about uh, this place that you've carved and created for yourself in in New York and in the Broadway world. I think it happened because I made a really good team with Fred, I believe. Um, And he happens to also be a very involved technical director. So he will get down on his knees and he would like sketch and draw and, and he moves a lot and he his mind is extremely active and so I as his assistant I don't I also just do as much as he does 
So I'm always trying to be a step ahead of what he may need or what the show may need. So I am a facilitator. I'm this, you know, it's almost like uh, I don't want to be a general ever, but I am the best, you know, lieutenant you can have next to you. And what I've been doing is like I like I've been able to go into a theater and support the carpentry department and some other departments at the same time and be a link between management and the shop and also like facilitate things for the house heads and like it's this I'm almost like a conciliary for <laughs> for the carpenter department and it's it's been lovely for me because I get to learn and and see and I'm also very much attuned to people so I think it's one of those assets that you can't really write on a resume it's like I get what I, I I understand people I know what they need I know when they need the things done and how so it's a very and it was it took me a while to understand that that was my skill and that I should be proud of that and that I the fact that I may not know how to completely draft a show on an AutoCAD doesn't make me any less valuable than another person on the team. So I do think that my 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 niche is to be this facilitator in a, any process and in any project. So that because as much as a lot of people say, oh, in every single job description, you'll find attention to detail. And I'm like, mm, I may not have the best attention to detail, but I have an overall view and a global view that allows me to see 10 times ahead. And like I can see almost like as a web rather than a linear thought. And like, I don't see the end game. I can see everybody's end game. So that allows me to be there present for anybody's needs at all times and to prevent things too. So I think it, it wasn't easy for me to realize that that is actually a really good skill because that whole thing of attention to detail is ingrained in every single job description that Nobody ever says, oh, it would be great to have someone that can see the overall picture and keep, you know, the game going so that we can all win. Yeah, and then job descriptions want everything too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, can you be a superhuman and come work for me? <laughs> for and very little money. Right, and still be human, you know, kind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you be kind. Always have a good sense of humor. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> Don't take anything personal. <laughs> Don't get upset. And yeah. <laughs> so for the people, uh, like our audience is from all over the world. legit, And so I think it's interesting from you, from here from you who are not an American, not originally a Broadway person. How does Broadway work? And how does, yeah, when we talk, I think, and I wonder, it's really, uh, we should, when we talk about Fred, I think if, would you give a very short introduction to it, who this wonderful character of Broadway is? Um, so Fred Gallo is uh, president of uh, PRG Scenic Technologies, and he's also a production carpenter and technical director on Broadway. He comes from a family of stagehands, of uh, carpenters, and 
he essentially is the person who will receive all the designer drawings of a show, decide how every single piece is getting built, and then prepare the show to go into a theater. So he will decide how everything is going to hang or how is it coming in. And then we put it all into a theater and then we have to make it work (laughs) and troubleshoot if it doesn't and come up with solutions until, and then follow up once the show is up and running that everything continues to run smoothly. So that's sort of, what he does and who he is. He's an incredible character of, and I never knew who he was till I started working for him, but apparently he was very well known before that. And he has a Tony award that he was awarded last year for excellence in theater. And um, he has been in theater for, I don't know, over 50 years now. Cause he started when he was extremely young and he is, uh have to say one of those people that wants the any show to work so if anybody would come I, and i've heard i've hear all the time with crazy ideas and how to make it work he's the person that they go to and usually he will tell you and he's ex- i think that's one of the things that i admire the most about him is how generous he is with his knowledge he he does share all of that. And you don't see that that often. People are kind of stingy with information and knowledge lately. And it's a shame because at the end of the day, theater is and will always be a collaborative process. So that's who he is. And Broadway is very different, I think, especially when you start thinking about unions and how everything everything is divided. So like the prop person cannot touch the carpentry things and vice versa. And like you need people that takes like from the truck is Teamsters, they take it out and then carpenters grab it. They bring it into the theater. Like if not, I can't touch anything like or certain pink contracts in certain houses are just allowed to supervise, not allowed to do. And then you have the lo- local one guys who are the uh, stations for Broadway, the the union for Broadway that are the people who put everything together and that and build everything that needs to get built and oh, during the loading process. And then usually, a cup, depending on the how big the show is, they will you will have a running crew that will also include local one stagehands besides the production crew that it's part that comes with the show so it is different it's political in a way you know there's a lot of politics involved and when i do theater back home is essentially can you, it's it's a much more low-tech process and um we want to get it done and and so i can grab be grabbing pipe and try and rigging up something up on the ceiling to make it work and uh, trying to convince a welder to do something that he doesn't understand, but that would, I know for sure that will work for me and trying to get sponsorships at the same time that I'm trying to rehearse and like, and find talking to musicians that will collaborate with us. So I think in that regard, my experience back home has allowed me to be able to talk to anyone about anything in any t- given time. 
because I have I've talked to presidents of companies and to a welder that hardly speaks Spanish, but showing him what I need him to do. And here I'm able to talk to a station that doesn't understand even where I'm coming from, but like he will hear me out. And I'm able to talk to a designer about my artistic views separately. Not And I am able to come up with suggestions sometimes for Fred for things that we may need or may want. So I think my background has helped me not be scared of doing things in an environment that, you know, other people might get, you know, not scared, but like put off by certain regularities, regulations that they have. And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. This made me think about something as a woman. How do you make your voice be heard in a, such a heavily dominated world, especially like thinking on carpent, all-time carpenters yeah. in New York? Or <laughs> it's like you can't do anything. You can't prove them that you know that you're t- what you're talking about, and yet you need them to do the thing. Yeah, it's hard. It's not easy, but I've never tried it myself. I think that I don't need to be yelling to be assertive. I don't need to. I I try to be assertive. I think they know that uh, if I ask for something is because I really need it. It's not like I, it's hard to say. It's not like I'm playing them, but I hear them. I see them. I understand who I'm talking to. So I try to relate to who I'm talking to because at the end of the day, that's what we do as humans on a daily basis. So if I listen to you and I understand how you uh, you listen to things and what makes you tick, then I'm able to tell you what I need and you and who I am. So like, I think I have been very lucky. I have also been unlucky <laughs> asking for what I need. Don't get me wrong. It's not like, but I think it's also about being open and understanding who, where they come from. There's, there's going to be, you know, I've heard it all. You know, I've heard, you know, racist comments before. I have heard womanizing uh, comments before. And I think sometimes it's about, you know, clapping back, even though it may be wrong, but like being assertive of like, this is my line and we have a job to do as well, but also being able to joke about it. I think there are things that will, 
that are very hard to change. But I have to say this, though. I think with everything going on gender-wise and, like, all the gender conversations that are happening and all the work that Broadway has been doing about BIPOC in the, in the workplace and sexual harassment in the workplace and what that entails and what that is, I think whether they are aware of it or not, they're talking about it more. They're, they're, it's not like a taboo subject. It's like I get to have conversations about gender that I don't think I would have ever been able to have before it became a subject. And now at least I get to hear them. They get to hear me like with a different opinion. And then we, I may not change anything, but at least there's conversation, which I don't think would have happened before. But I do think that the it's a hard place to get your voice heard. Absolutely. I have been very fortunate that my voice whenever I need to is heard. But I think it has to do with the fact that I also listen. Because if I don't listen, then there's no way they're going to listen to me. Interesting. Thank you. You're welcome. What else do you see changing in the Broadway world these days? The subject of the stories is, is different. Um, I think there are uh, several new, especially plays, or there's new shows that are coming that are the subject matter is different, is uh, probably shocking. I'm not sure how that's going to work commercially because I think at the end of the day, there needs to be, I know that is a, is a big economic issue, but like if they want Broadway to be accessible to other people, they also, they also need to change pricing in certain things so that more people is able to go see shows that speak to them. But I think the subject matter is slowly evolving at least. And so where, where like new productions of like new playwrights that are either BIPOC or like they're the gender oriented or is different, like Strange Loop and E and and other shows and like even POTUS that had a whole almost all like a 95% female creative and cast. So that is very good to see and hear that is happening. And it's also I personally think is very well written. So I think there are things changing. It's gonna be slow. And my question I question how the reach of all of that that's what i question as a person it's like okay you're doing all of these things which is nice and but how are you making this accessible to more than just you know the wealthy five percent but at the same time which is i mean very very valid question i'm not questioning that i think the arts in general face that conundrum of it's very expensive to produce and make good quality art but at the same time if you price it at the price that it costs you to do it yet you have to pay the bills yeah then you leave out everyone else and salaries that are you know livable no salaries. no i agree <laughs> with you it's not it, i think the word conundrum is a good word because it is it's like how do we balance this how do we balance what we want to show what we're saying at the caliber that we're saying it 
but make it accessible. Or let's just assume it's just going to be accessible for this amount of people, like, or this kind of people. Or are, or can we make an option where, you know, like I heard the other day that there's no thing as a, like a student rush anymore. There's just a rush. So people who go to the Vox office at 10, a, 10 a.m. when they open, they can get a rush ticket, which is nice that they're not making it. You have to be a student. Anybody can go there and is first come, first serve. But can we make any other adjustments so that like once a month tickets are just 50 bucks? What would happen then? Like you already pay for the, you know, what would happen if that was the case? I don't know. I may be too naive and still like an idealist and a dreamer about that, but I just figure we need to pose those questions sometimes. No, but I absolutely. Don't we all need to ask those questions. And yeah, you're, you're in a good position to ask them too. <laughs> yeah. We talk about this conundrum of making theater accessible or the arts accessible to, to a wider audiences. But it's very expensive to to create and produce and pay livable wages and everything that it takes with or it comes with. But at the same time, I think specifically for Broadway, we can see maybe just in the English speaking world, but it's a big population in the English speaking world, the impact it has in culture in general, in popular culture, like maybe not everyone goes to see a Broadway show. But if you're in the U.S. or in England, you'll go see the tour show or you'll go see the high school reprisal of the mm -hmm. whatever show yeah, that yeah. was in West End. And uh, so if you're in Australia and the touring production comes, maybe you'll get to see it. It might not be the exact same. Or maybe you're on cruise ships and you get to see a Broadway show for free or with your cruise ticket. Maybe some, some are paid, some are not. And then you have... Broadway HD and Disney Plus. So the impact that it has in the culture is huge. And the fact that all this conversation and all these questions are being had and being asked and happening and this changes, I think, I mean, I think it will have a repercussion down the line. I agree. I think I certainly hope so. And I think it already has by the fact that most, I think most touring productions are steadily like hiring other people like not just your your regular white people but like trying to find new people and nurture them so that there is a bigger and much more diverse pool of labor to choose from because that's also a thing you need skilled labor for like the things that are being done as much on stage as backstage require certain skills that not a lot of people have and so you need to start fostering those skills like broadly and also like from all sources so that there is a pool of people that you can hire that is truly diverse and that you are not just and that it's also qualified because then you're setting them up to fail and that's not fair for anybody you know you we, we have to make much more of an impact i think in schools and um, high schools and programs that will show you that and there are out there they're they're making it much more accessible but for people to know that there is a labor force at backstage that it um, that could be a 
uh, a job offer for a vi- uh, like young people that have no even they don't even have any idea like that they could be stations that they could be wardrobe people that they can build scenery that they can build costumes that they can build props that it's not just the actor there that there's like a whole lot of happening around people that are on stage so i think that that's where our new pool of diversity can come from i agree <laughs> here's hoping yeah so- <laughs> here's to hope <laughs> What's your favorite thing about the job? I have to say it it's the people I know and the time I spent with them. I love the challenge. One of the things that I love is the fact that I have fun with it. I think that the day that I don't is the day that I need to move on with anything. I think that's a rule in life. Like if you're not having fun with it, I I get to ha- be in an office, do a desk job, but I also get to be in a theater and see the the things being done and the working and the magic happening and there are moments that I still get teary I still get emotional even if I don't like the show I like the fact that it happened the fact that it you know there's something and I think that's what I love the I love the fact that it keeps me moving it keeps me feeling it keeps me laughing and it keeps me learning and I am very blessed by that because I don't get to just, I, I get to do that every day. And I get to do it with extremely intelligent, kind people. And that's also a, a, a big blessing. I'm very fortunate that way. And I'm very grateful for that because, you know, I, I get to do it every day. And may, I may not be on stage, but I'm still. I still feel part of a of a bigger machinery and that and of a collective and that is important to me and the fact that I can still contribute to that it's that sense of belonging and yeah being able to give back it's pretty cool if you could change one thing about the industry or your job what would you change I would change the women to men ratio <laughs> and the pay situation, the equal pay for work done. I definitely think that that's one of the things that it's sort of a skewed in a way. So I definitely would change that. I would change that and I would change the diversity situation within the our industry. Yeah. <laughs> change it <laughs> let's change it now if people want to see the work you're doing you're doing in in paraguay or if they want to reach out and have questions or if they want to be just say hey you're doing an amazing job thank you Aww. how can people reach out <laughs> uh, so some of the work that nimu has been doing you can see at www nimu.com which is n-h-i-m-u.com we have a facebook page and we're also on instagram you can reach me at pato macera on instagram or facebook same handle 
And my email is patomacera at gmail.com if you guys have any questions. I certainly hope that uh, what we do at the Oklahoma residency in July can also be seen somewhere online, hopefully, and um, we'll see where that one goes. So, Pato, thank you very much for your time, your knowledge, and sharing with us all your experiences. <laughs> It was awesome. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. So I really, really appreciate it. Theater at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only $38 US per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.